Welcome back to the Living Room Chat podcast. Episode 12. Episode 12. In this episode, guys, we talk about the legend that is John Motson. We also have a review of Ken Seema's interesting interview that we saw. What else we got, Matt? We got some agency chat talking about how to turn £500 into £150 by investing in purple bricks. <laughs> also talking about Ryan's current stress with a property he has on the market. We absolutely do. So hopefully you enjoy this episode. This is going to be episode 12. And you guys are legends. Welcome back to the Living Room Chat podcast, episode 12 now, well into double figures. So you're here with me, Matt, and him, Ryan. Thank you very much for the intro. <laughs> so I wanted to start with a topic. Um, I obviously messaged you yesterday, um, and it's, it's on a sad note, unfortunately, guys, but we won't talk about it for long. Mate, not another sad note. But it's, I, think it's, I think we've got to look at it and spin it around as a more inspirational note and what he's given the beautiful game of football. Ah, uh, yeah. Um, so the sad news that uh, John Motson, the legendary commentator, passed away yesterday. Yeah. Um, 77 years old, you know, relatively good innings, but, you know, I think... I look at that and I think it's not that old. Yeah, that's what I mean. Like, if you're in your 90s, I think you've kind of made it yeah. a good distance. I think anything less than 80, like, it's, it's sad. How it's really did he die? Old age, I imagine, mate. Oh, I, I don't know. I didn't yeah, I, I didn't see... I, I read an article about it. I didn't see any cause, but... No. I mean, yeah. So. But the thing is, you get to the... Uh, like, you know, we've all got old people that we know, grandparents, whatever it may be, and you do, they, you get, to a, they get to a certain age and a little illness can just catch them. Yeah. And, you know, you always hear had after a short bout of illness passed away, and he could have been ill for, like, a few weeks and then mm. dies. Like, your body just can't cope with it. But anyway, I don't want to get on to... That is, it's extremely sad and, and we've all got memories of him commentating or match of the day or the England yeah. games. So what I, what I did um, is actually looked at my, I just Googled John Watson's best commentary and what it meant, uh, what it meant to me. And there's two things that really kind of jumped out straight away. And if it's okay, we'll put the clips on the screen. But the David Beckham goal against Greece. Saw that, yeah, 2001. Yeah. yeah. Well, like, it, one of the best, obviously, England goals ever to get us to the... Was it for the, for the World Cup, wasn't it? A World Cup qualification. And we had to draw against Greece and we were losing 2-1. It was the 93rd minute. And John Watson... And watching two clips, and I'll talk about the other one in a second, he has the same catchphrase. He's done it! He's done it! It's 2-2! So the David Beckham one was one that jumps out straight away. Do you remember, I mean... I was 11 years old, you would have been like nine. Yeah, I do remember it. But yeah, what, what was interesting is watching, even though he's obviously hasn't, I don't think he's been commentating for a few years now after, he must have, I don't know, he might have been doing it recently. Well, I, what I realised watching the video back is how a, a commentator, I didn't know what he looked like, but how his voice has just been there for yeah. so long. Yeah. Now, one of the clips I saw was from 1972 and he started And it sounds exactly the same. And I was like, wow, even people who are older than us, they've just heard that voice. Do you think, and this was, it was an interesting tangent, but do you think, like, the old, the old uh, way of English commentators, there was a certain stereotype and the way they spoke. Like, John Motson, even though he was recent, sound, like, even look, watching that clip of David Beckham, yeah, that was 20 years ago, but he sounded really, like, old English. They're, like, old, like, olden days English. Yeah, I know what you mean, like an old... Whereas old now you've got people like Jamie Carragher and, Phil, like, Gary Neville and people who don't understand what they're saying. Yeah, but and then like different accents. Whereas it used to be like very well spoken English as commentators. It's a it's a different new generation, I yeah, suppose. Isn't absolutely, it? absolutely. Um, the other uh, clip I saw, 
um, which really has fond memories for me as an Arsenal fan, is he commentated on Thierry Henry's... First, when, when Thierry Henry left, went to Barcelona, then went to America, he came back on loan to Arsenal for like, oh, a, six, yeah, like a six-week period. Yeah. And he came off the bench against Leeds in the FA Cup to make his second debut. And he scored within two minutes. And Clive Tilsley was... Uh, Clive Tilsley. Um, John Watson was commentating on that game as well. He was something like 2011, 2012. Must have been, yeah, yeah, it must have been that sort of. No, no it would have been more. Yeah, it must have been 2011, 2012, about 10 years ago. Yeah. And exactly the same, Henri, he's done it! <laughs> so. Um, the article I read just said how he always got the. He always got the sentiment right. He always got the mood right. Yeah. And I, I thought that was an interesting comment, but I suppose as a commentator, you have. It's not just about the game, but it's about the events of the game. You have the, the minute silences quite often, and all of this, and he always got it right. It's a lot. It's a lot to be a commentator for a sport because, yeah, like I watch football, and obviously we have our views on it, of course. But actually, commentating on a game, like a voiceover, is different. But actually, commentating live, knowing all the players' names, all the players' names, the notes you got, when to put facts in, mm. when to speed up, when to take a step back and not say anything. Tough, tough gig. Yeah, it's a skill. Isn't it, it is a skill. It's an art. They said um, in the World Cup, all the Romanian players bleached their hair yeah. blonde, yeah. and he still knew all of their names. Yeah, like, yeah, amazing. Awesome, awesome. But yeah, sad. But sad. Yeah. But that's that is life, isn't it? Unfortunately, and there's there's obviously big names that pass away all the time. But um, we can't. We shouldn't. We obviously talked about um, Chester and Lincoln Park last. No last more episode. death for the next. Yeah, few maybe episodes. we'll leave death for a couple of days. But. Yeah. I think just on that final point, he had a massive impact on the way we watch football. Like, he's iconic. So I think, it, you know, although we're only a small po podcast at the moment, I don't think we'd be doing our duty if we didn't pay our respects to a, a great, great man. For yeah, the, no, fair play. For UK, the world, and football. In that order. R.O.P. There we Watson. go. Lovely. Yeah. Um, Next up. Segway, keeping on football. Did you see the wonderful Ken Seamer's interview? The uh, Watford striker. Uh, only because you told me about it, and so I watched it. Mate, we spoke about that. You're supposed to like act like you did watch it before, and oh, not, yeah. not that I showed you five minutes ago. Yeah, I definitely saw that. Yeah, independently. Cool. Cut that out. Start again. <laughs> yeah. Matt, did you see the wonderful Ken Seymour interview, the striker from Watford? Yeah, saw that. Saw that. Amazing. So um, we'll put a little clip. Or, oh, by the way, put John Watson clip on of uh, yeah Omri or Beckham. You choose. Yeah, I'll find the clip. Okay, cool. Yeah. Do the Ken Seymour interview as well. I watched this, and there's been a lot of talk about it, about people coming out saying, you know, well done for him. Because for those who haven't seen it, Ken Seymour has a stutter um, and, a, and a speech impediment. And it's, it's, it's quite noticeable when you watch it. Mm. And, you've ne and it got me thinking, because I've never seen any, well, I can remember, any professional sportsmen come out. They always send the best speaker out, the captain or the manager. No one comes out mm. That's true. with an issue. Like, not that it's an issue at all, and that's the whole point of it. It's amazing that he's had the courage because I know it must be quite difficult I used to talk with a little bit of a when even when I started videoing a little bit of a lisp I didn't kind of didn't talk or clearly articulate my words well I only see now watching videos back that we record I'm like oh I should change how I speak like that and I should mm -hmm. tweak that but yeah good on him I yeah think good on him I, for me it's not that deep I know I've met people with a stutter it's like you got a stutter he's obviously competent in football and when he when he talks and he doesn't stutter, it just sounds normal. I think that's the that's the thing about a stutter, isn't it? Is it sort of can catch people off guard because you can talk normally and then stutter and people are like, oh, 
What I loved about it and what I like about it is the fact that anyone who has got a stutter or a speech impediment and maybe feels subconsciously um, a bit, what's the word I'm looking for? A bit self-conscious. Yeah, yeah, exactly that. And doesn't really want to put themselves out there because of that reason, because they're worried about what people are thinking of them. Ken Seema gets up there and they're like, well, he's on a massive stage doing that. And he hopefully can give more confidence to people that there's no reason for them not to be confident. I think that's the thing, isn't it? For You hear a lot about role models in the media, but that's a good example of not just being a footballer, but having something like a stutter and actually getting out there in the world and anyone who looks at that will be able to kind of associate with it. And yeah. It, it just normalises it. I agree. So good on him. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Well, have you got anything you wanted to talk about? I've got a couple more things, but um, we're obviously, they're my top, they're two quick intro topics. Yeah, so got, football, football. Um, I've got, I've got agency chat, yeah. kind of agency chat, business slash agency chat. I want to talk about the uh, the online estate agent cool. of a purple nature. Yeah, okay. I don't know if we'll save a name. Do we save a name? Mm. Fuck it, purple yeah. bricks. So um, they've been in the news or in the press again recently. They've made losses again of about £20 million and their company's up for sale or open to a takeover bid. It's a place I've worked before. I know it's somewhere you've worked before. Mm -hmm. What a shit show. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. Couldn't what agree an more. absolute shit show. I think, um, I don't know if you hear this with, with Avocado, because a lot of people say, are you similar to Purple Bricks or similar to Online Agent? Oh, really? Like, no one's ever... I really, someone's I've had, referred I've had... to us as an online agent before. Yeah, and, and I say absolutely categorically <laughs> not. So what you've got is you've got your old school high street estate agents that yeah. do their thing and there's a place for them in this world. You've then got the likes of the online agents, Strike, Purple Bricks, Yopa, whoever you want to look at, there's those. And we are in the middle as a hybrid agent where you've got the best of both worlds. You've got experienced staff charging the same fees as, as normal, if not more, um, experienced people working within the business, but no high street office. That's all it is. That's the only difference. We just do yeah. better marketing, better communication. The pointless high street office, which actually has no benefit. Absolutely. And I'm, yeah. I'm annoyed at Purple Bricks for failing to make a success of that business. Yeah. Because I, as you know, I got into business five years ago in 2018. And I looked at the other brands around me and I thought, oh, Purple Bricks, this is good. An online agent. I can't believe no one had, no one's hasn't done this, done before, this yeah. sooner. Yeah. I can see where that would work. And it's just watching the journey of a business just completely going into what it is now and failing miserably. It's funny though, and we'll talk about this in a lot more detail. So when I joined Purple Bricks, it was a very, very different outfit with a lot of potential to be a very successful business. I wholeheartedly believed in the offering. So I was within the first 100 uh, local property experts within the country. Oh, okay, wow. I was very early. Was that 2016? 2015 I joined. Oh, wow. November 2015 I joined. So I um, like I know mm. Kenny Brew. I've got Kenny and Michael's numbers in my phone. I've been out for dinner with Kenny. Um, okay, I've been yeah. to his house. Like, I know I know them, like, obviously multi-millionaires, very, very successful guys. And that's, that's the kind of allegiance I want to go. But I was very early on. I knew everyone. Mm. Like the head of, head of recruitment did our training, you know, when we went to the head office, there was like 
20 people there. They hadn't even set up the call centre when I started. Okay, so you really saw really the, early on. the early days, yeah. And, and it had very similar traits to Avocado. Family-run business, bringing good people in, mm -hmm. understand what they're doing, offering a service at a competitive price. And that's the difference. Yeah. But clearly, they expanded so quickly mm. and it just grew out of, out of hand. And obviously, they launched in the stock market, what, within two or three years, I think it was? I think 2016. Yeah. Yeah, I'd I'd share, I'd, I'd quite a lot, lot of shares when that launched. Have you sold them? No, I get, uh, you have to. So they give you share options if you've been there for a year. Ah, okay. And I'd been there for a year when it launched on the stock market. And I had, I think I had 20,000 pounds, 20,000 shares or something like that. Yeah. 25,000 shares, which were given to me, issued to me at the time at like two pounds a share and obviously got up to five pounds. So basically I had like 75 grand. Yeah. But you couldn't take them out for five years. Right, yeah. So I would have, I would have only just been able to take them out now if I'd stayed there. And obviously they're worth fucking nothing now. <laughs> well, I also bought some Purple Brick shares yeah. when I was working there. And I obviously saw the transition from being a self-employed business to being an employed business. Yeah. I bought some shares because I thought the, biz the share price is down. Yeah. They've got a bunch of cash in a bank. I've I've been around the business and the people. Yeah. I thought there's a greater chance of this being turned around. Yeah. Than not. it getting fucked up. <laughs> and I couldn't have been more wrong. Yeah, yeah. So I, I bought my shares at twenty four p. I I turned a hundred. I turned five hundred quid into one hundred and fifty quid now. It does so make it's me look, not a lot of money. It may, it make well yeah, profits profit, isn't it? Makes me look back though at the time when when Michael and Kenny were running the show and the team they had around them and the, obviously the guy that we work with, um, local to Reading. Like, just genuinely good people. But mm. whether... I'd, the thing is, I don't know. I wasn't in the company when they when they left. But the backstory of whether they were forced out or they were asked to leave or they were just like, right, our time's up, we made our money. I don't believe knowing... Not not saying like I know him personally, but I, I've spent time with them. As I've been to dinner with, with Kenny, like, yeah. six of us. Like, spoke to him a lot. And um, he never struck me as that person that would just turn his back and run to the hills with the money. No. But he's a very, very good businessman and they've done it before and they tried it again with Boomin, obviously, and maybe it didn't work out this time round. But... but I think for them, if you've made that much money, you know, do you give a shit? I mean, I, I agree. Everything I've heard about them is aligns to what you're saying, yeah. is that they wouldn't just be like, oh, fuck it, we got the money. Yeah. I suppose that's the nature of like corporate businesses. Yeah. Because my experience of being there is, I always think they must know best. They're a big business with a fancy office. What do I know? I'm just a guy. But it's it's interesting because I've watched the journey of going downhill. For example, I got told off by people high up in Purple Ricks for posting certain stuff on social media. Mm -hmm. Not told off, just told to take it down. Yeah. They started a TikTok account while I was there. You know, I've I've looked at it now, and that TikTok account's just been left abandoned. The the missing opportunities, and they've got a big marketing team. They've obviously got a big social media budget because I see the Facebook ads all the time. Yeah, I just I just think it's such a shame they've been able to fuck it. I up. think the problem I think the problem they had is as I said they expanded too quickly. They've got too many shit agents on there. Like too well, many. They do now. No, but they did before as well. Like I, people that were coming in the business, I'm thinking, well, yeah, that's fine. But then the thing is, you don't know because someone getting a bad name up north in Derby 
doesn't necessarily affect yeah. someone down south, but at the same time, you're only as good as the person next to you. If the guy next to you is an absolute tool, yeah, it's going to affect your business. And that's why I think a lot of those wouldn't get into a self-employed model. They maybe would with some of the other ones, but maybe not with Avocado because they sit like the guys are very selective about who they bring into the business. Sure. About having good people and being as good as a person next to you. Yeah. So, but there's an obviously a market there. We're very, it's a very, like, it's a very similar business model. Like if you look at the outlight above Purple Bricks and you look at Avocado or, or let's take another self-employed model, it is a very similar net, like business, i.e. we were self-employed with Purple Bricks. I was. Yeah. So it's, it, on the outside looking in, it does look very similar, but there's so many categorical differences that you basically you can't support a living you can't run a run a successful business charging a thousand pounds you no. can't do it well, well that's why they're now three thousand pounds yeah which means it's no longer cheap yeah and when i joined i thought that the the way the business was set up i.e the agents being self-employed i thought oh that's purple bricks being forward thinking mm -hmm. they understand that self-employed agents are the future yeah they can reduce costs because of the online offering. I was like, they, they get it, yeah, because people are being self-employed. So when they made everyone employed, that's and, it. And I remember very vividly the now CEO. Everyone was called down to Bristol for a meeting, yeah, an emergency meeting, yeah, and just sat in a conference room, have your tea, have your biscuits, sit down and listen to us. All right, we're changing the business model as of two weeks time. If you want to stay with us, great. If you don't, we wish you all the best. Wow. The, the way she spoke, I was just like, you're a dick. Really? Was, you're a dick. You have no idea about agency and what's happening on the ground. You're looking at this from a bird's eye view, looking yeah. at your spreadsheets, looking at your KPIs. You do not understand. And since then, she's become the CEO yeah. and is now in the middle of all this. And, and you just, saw you saw when she spoke to you in that meeting, what would that have been, 2019? Yes, I was six months into being self-employed Yeah, and it had leaked a day earlier and someone sent me an article saying all Purple Bricks agents to be made employed and it was someone who runs an agency business and I yeah. said, oh no, that's not true. We were, happened, we were known about it, yeah. Yeah, that's not true. If that happens, I'll come and work for you. The next day, I'm down in Bristol getting this, uh, getting spoken to. But spoken um, to like a fucking piece of shit on a shoe who has was, no idea what she's talking about and now she runs the company was, and that's probably why they're in such a shit position. It was very corporate and it was very... Yeah. Um, there was no reason... There was queries as to like whether this was forced by HMRC, yeah. whether this was a company decision. But they never told you? It's, never, it's no, never... no, they were just like, this is a strategic decision we've been thinking about for a long time, Bottle but we're actioning this in, in two weeks. It is amazing. Like, bear in mind that I was there for a year and a half from 20, end of 2015 to mid-2017, mm. and then you joined, what year? 20... 21. 21. Yeah, March, you were there for... February 21. How long were you there? Nine months, 10 months? Uh, for 12 months. Yeah, 12 so months, okay. So from me joining and to you joining five, five years later, six years mm. later, the transition of that company from a small startup revolutionising the market company, core values, family traits, beautiful thing to be a part of, yeah. to a corporate slog of a machine <laughs> within six years. Like, no wonder they're so fucked.
It's, yeah, it's so true when you when you put it like that. It's just, Running before you can walk is like everything that that stinks of. And looking back, actually, even the the Christmas party was too lavish for a business which wasn't as successful. Yeah, it's just I'm looking back now with like as being a business owner now, thinking like should not have been spending so much money on a fucking Christmas party. Yeah, yeah, we're trying to morale up, isn't it? But they clearly just treat did mistreat the staff, got wrong people in. Um, the the good people that made that company and success to start with and it was success I had some good months with Purple Bricks same I, I listed yeah, I remember I one month in uh, I think early 2016 I think I listed 18 sold 15 properties something like that mm -hmm. and when you're getting paid like I was paid like, probably about 300 quid per instruction yeah like you're making four and a half five grand that's fine but now the beauty of what we do now is we we can give us such a better service because to make four or five grand I need to sell two houses Exactly, it's completely different. And I look back, and when I was self-employed at Purple Bricks, as you say, making £300 for a house or £500 if you're doing the viewings, I gave my clients such good value for money looking back. Because yeah. people might look at me from the outside and be like, oh, he worked for Purple Bricks, Purple Bricks is shit, yeah. he must be shit. My not... clients did amazing out of me because yeah. I, was, I was still doing the WhatsApp groups, yeah. still doing the video marketing. Yeah. But they're doing everything you needed to do. And they're paying a fucking fifteen hundred quid, two yeah. grand, whatever. So I'll yeah. never be that cheap again. Um, no, you don't need. I mean, you don't. You don't need to be. That's the. That's the thing about it now. But that's exactly the point, isn't it? If you had a good Purple Bricks agent, mm. you're like you can never say a bad word about them. Use them. They're amazing. Yeah. Fifteen hundred quid. You get personal agent. They do everything for you, and you get moved and save yourself thousands of pounds. Everyone be like, cool, no brainer. You get a shit agent. You never. I got to the point when just before I was about to leave. Um, because I just couldn't deal with the stress and I hadn't paid my tax and it was a lot. Of, it was oh, yeah. one. It was a very dark time in my life in Shit. 2017 because I just I didn't have an accountant. I thought I could do it myself. Yeah, just fucked everything. Had bucking bailiffs at the door and stuff. Like, it oh, was fuck. it was shit time, mate. Yeah. Milo Milo was 18 months old. Lauren wasn't working. It was yeah. a horrible time for me. Like really, like the lowest I've ever been. Fuck. And um, the point I was going to make there is just like actually having the support network but I got to the point where I didn't have time I had to make money I didn't even tell people about the viewing service like I'd sign people up and they'd be like oh, I heard you do a viewing service I was like yeah we don't offer that anymore <laughs> yeah. I shouldn't be laughing because that's terrible <laughs> so, I was like look this is how you do a viewing okay any questions give me a shout good luck I'll keep in touch with you every two weeks that's how that is how I did it yeah yeah. And uh, and then I got to the point where I had 32 properties on the market at one point. Yeah. I, know, I, I know how much harder I work at the moment with just 10 properties on the market. Mm. So I'm 30. I, it, was, it was dreadful. I, I found that towards the end, the way when, when everyone became employed and they made the targets as such, they were just, they were just stupid. Yeah, you know, so unachievable, the, basically. Yeah, so the whole business just overnight just turned to like, right, you need to double your output and now you're employed, so... Yeah, just all KPIs and stuff. It's just yeah. So obviously, we, I think we touched on this. Did we talk about Vince becoming um, sales director? Yeah, a couple of weeks ago in one of the podcasts. Was that we you spoke to? Was yeah, we spoke about it. Yeah, do you reckon he'd yeah. be gone soon? Probably. I mean, the churn of the the C level staff is just so high, isn't yeah. it? It's just ridiculous. Because they must walk in, get this so sold this sold this dream, walk in and just unravel stuff and go, fuck, this ain't worth my time yeah. stress mental capacity and no one's really thinking about it on the ground as well i think i 
there's also a difference I've noticed with clients. I don't know if you found this, but a client paying up front, there was almost a sort of idea of like, I've paid you, so you owe me. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like yeah. a kind of like, you will do this because I've paid. Yeah. Whereas now it's like we do 100% of the work in advance. Yeah. And just the dynamic is much better, I think. Yeah, absolutely. Whereas and I was some clients, for example, you know, we've all, there are flats which are, which can go on the market and don't sell. Mm -hmm. If you've paid purple bricks, you're going to blame purple bricks and not the market. Mm -hmm. Whereas if you haven't paid your agent, it's, it's just different, fine. isn't yeah. it? You know, so 80% so of my clients would be fine, but if the client had a flat which wasn't selling and they'd paid 1,500 quid or two grand, that's the, yeah. that's a bad position. Or they defer the payment and uh, 10 months comes around and they're like, right, I need to pay two grand, but I didn't sell. Yeah. Oh, the agent didn't tell me. I was like, yeah. I always made that. I literally from day one used to email people as soon as they instructed with a deferred payment. Like, just to let you know, when you sell, you need to use our solicitors. Yeah. And if it doesn't sell, you will have to pay at, at month 10. Like, just, just to make it, oh, yeah, yeah, no problem at all, right? As soon as they ever came back, I'll be like, poo, find the email. Poo. And yes, it's horrible yeah. that you have to cover yourself. But obviously, it's human nature, isn't it? And, and if it didn't sell, you, you'd understand why they'd be pissed off. Yeah. Because they've sold a dream and sometimes it doesn't. I've had, client, I've had a client recently where I haven't been able to sell the house for them and mm. it's, it's embarrassing for me. Yeah. But they've lost two months. I haven't charged them anything. Yeah. It's, I've it's given them the best possible money. service I could do. I've done incredible video marketing, everything, and it hasn't worked out. Yeah. Fine. We move on. But uh, yeah, so then if, if they'd have paid you two grand up front and you weren't giving that back, you know, it's a different scenario, different story, isn't, isn't it? it? Yeah, a different story. Um, there we go. Interesting. So I got a bit um, agency chat as well. Obviously, I've talked to you about it and it's just, it caused me a little bit of stress recently. And it's probably, I think one of the things about being a self-employed agent is it is just, it is just you. Mm. And you should be able to manage your time correctly. But people feel like you're owing them something. So I put a house on the market this week. It is under market value because of the work that's needed. And the whole idea is we have to, it has to sell this weekend because the mm -hmm. lady needs her money out ASAP. Yep. I've had 67 inquiries on this particular property. I've booked over 30 viewings. I've got so many people calling me. I almost, I, I can't do any other, any other business because I have to deal with those calls. Yeah. And it's got to the point now where it's almost like, wow, this is too much. Like... It's just too much to do. So I'm actually taking the property offline today to stop inquiries coming in because I've already booked 30 viewings and it's going to sell. That goes to show, though, a property on the market at an attractive price will literally have your phone ringing off the hook to the point where you have to stop your business. Literally. Like, literally. Let, let that be a lesson to people who are thinking of going on the market. Yeah. Price it attractively and everybody will want to come and Absolutely. see you. Absolutely. Absolutely. But, you are going to sell that above us. Oh, yeah, it's, it's got, yeah, it's so it'd be sold already. It's no problem at all. I've got 15 viewings there this afternoon. I've got 18 viewings there on, on Sunday. So that's cool. It's going to sell. And I'll probably book more in. I'm still, after we finish this, I'm still, my next appointment's not till 12. I'm going to crack on and call as many people as I can in half an hour, book more viewings in. But it's funny how people call up. And, and again, it's different with estate agents because we understand the process. But it's mm. really, it sometimes amuses me when people think they're in a, good position in the nicest possible way and they try and sell you that position where actually all I want is someone who like I had someone phone up and say oh, hey I've uh, owned lots of properties and uh, got a 25% deposit going to get a bite to that mortgage on it and uh, yeah I can complete tomorrow 
<laughs> cool, thanks mate. So firstly, you can't get a buy-to-let mortgage on it because of the condition. Well, who said that? I was like, because I've had a surveyor go around and value it for me in preparation. It can't be let. He's like, tell me why I can't get a buy-to-let mortgage on it. I was like, look, I don't need to answer to you. I'm trying to help yeah. you here, but I'll tell you just for the benefit of this conversation. Mortgage lenders are very tight at the moment and they only let on buy-to-let if they can let it from day one. This is not lettable from day one. So therefore the surveyor will value it at zero and mortgage will be uh, uh, declined. Yeah, but they do affordability checks. Okay, cool. So if you've done loads of properties <laughs> before, you know as a buy-to-let investor that the affordability is done on the rental income, not what you earn. So cool, are we okay with this? Do you want me to put you in touch with someone who can do bridging finance? I'm not paying for bridging finance. <laughs> Fee's too high. Cool. You're not buying this house then. Unless yeah. you've got 300 grand cash, you ain't buying it. But it's funny how people dictate to us, like they think we're just estate agents that don't know stuff. Mm. Like we know everything about the process and uh, it's quite amusing. It's, it's so important though, isn't it? Especially with a house like that to manage expectations. Yeah. And like, you know, it's kind of your job to call the shots and be like, no, this is when I'm doing viewings. This is who I'm showing well, you, around. You heard the call I had before we started this podcast and the guy's like, can you meet me there in 10 minutes? Yeah. And I was like, absolutely fucking not. <laughs> I'll be there at quarter past one <laughs> till 2.45. He's like, can you meet me at three o'clock? No, I've just said I'll be there till 2.45. Cool. Let's book you in for Sunday. I think, I know a lot of people say, oh, estate agents have a bad reputation, but also the public are fucking idiots sometimes. And rude. Like, <laughs> yeah, horrible. I had, again, and I'm not, I'm not playing, oh, boo-hoo, Ryan, he's going to sell a house and make loads of money. I'm not playing that card. Like, please don't think I'm being a dick about this. But someone phoned me, at, someone inquired at, it was about 11 o'clock on Tuesday night. I went on the market Tuesday. Clark inquired 11 o'clock Tuesday, uh, Tuesday night. They called me at nine o'clock in the morning cool i was i was busy in appointments they then called the other the switchboard and tried getting another call and they then sent another three inquiries i then called them at one o'clock in the afternoon because i'd had and i'm no joke i'd had 30 inquiries in 12 hours and i'm calling through in chronological order yeah yeah. and because i kept saying another request for it kept putting them back to the top <laughs> so i called them at one o'clock like less than 12 hours after they sent the initial inquiry and they said, oh, finally. That's, that is so how rude. they started the call. So rude. And I said, okay, cool, respectfully. So I, would you like me to give you a bit of background on the property? And they said, well, you've, well you can now, you've called me and something like that. And it, it got my back up straight away, but I was cool about it. It, it goes to show, I always say, when, when someone sees a property on Rightmove for the first time, there's some kind of emotional yeah, reaction. That's there. my house. That they look at the floor plan, they look at the pictures, and they start to build up this image in their head yeah. of them and that property. Yeah. And it's so interesting how the the price can make such a big difference as to how people build that story. Yeah. Yeah. So then they'll make that inquiry. They'll want to view it immediately. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I and I totally understand that. And I and I honestly, <laughs> it's what's caused the issues for me. And I've had a little bit of a wobble as you do as business owners, and again, you don't see this side of us, we always see us smiling and happy on camera, but you do have wobbles on days. Because yes- Most, most days, mate. Yeah, Wednesday afternoon, honestly, and we had a bit of personal news with Lauren, which, which I won't go into, but that was a bit of a, bit of a you know, gut-wrencher as well. And then to have these people chasing me and giving me shit. I was yeah. still calling people at seven o'clock 
and half well, and a half seven, I was still calling people. Hadn't had dinner. Hadn't. Done, I've been working all day. Mm. And again, boo hoo, Ryan, that's your job. I just it got too much. I was like, fuck, yeah. I don't know what to do. Like, I can't deal with this. <clears throat> so that house is going to sell over the asking price. Yeah. I'm going to make a guess. You're going to sell that for. Can we talk about? Specifics prices? Yeah, I'm, I've said to everyone what I think. I think you're going to sell that for somewhere around 340, 345. That's a very interesting point. I've told everyone, like, I really realistically, 325. I reckon you'll get more than that. But, but I think you'll get a you'll get a better offer for less money. Yeah, and that's, and that's the one we're going to go for. Because yeah. I've, made, I've made this mistake before. So I've just, on yesterday, I completed on a house in Calcott, Pemberton Gardens. And I remember when it went on the market in July last year, it's taken a while to go through, yeah. another story for another day, but I had an open house, Lauren and I did an open house, and we have 25 people booked in. And I, was, I said that, it was on for 325, and I was telling everyone it's going to go over asking price, get your offers in straight away. Mm. Did open house for 25 viewings, guess how many offers I got? Zero. I remember you saying. Yeah. And I remember on the Monday morning, thinking, I, thinking to, I said to Lauren, like, how the fuck has that happened? Mm. And I knew it was just the way we pitched it pitched it incorrectly. So we did an open house the following Saturday with another 10 people and we changed the dynamic and I said, great first time buyer, let, have a look around, let me know what your thoughts are, any questions, give me a shout, no problem at all, like, take your time. 10 viewings, guess how many offers I got? Six. Oh wow, just from being less aggressive with the- Yeah, because I was putting people off Indirectly, because I knew it was going to sell. Yeah, yeah. And I was trying to force the. I wasn't trying to force the price. I was just being no. honest. Yeah, yeah. And I, I'm, I'm a little worried that I've done the same with Derwent because I've been. T I've told everyone categorically it needs 50 grand's worth of work. I've told everyone about the interest levels, but I know at the viewings I'm going to be very different because I've learned from that. Yeah. Today, sure. I, well, I've got I've got two people every 15 minutes, and I said you can have as much time as you look want to look round. No problem at all. I will give you my time for five or ten minutes, and then you look round as much as you need. I'm not going to push anyone. I'm going to say, do your numbers. Let me know what you think. Let's go from there. Because with a house like that, you need security. The buyer's going to proceed. Security, they, you know, because if someone does a survey on that house, they're going to find a bunch of stuff, yeah. aren't they? Do you know what I mean? What I'm going to do is I'm going to say to everyone, like, my ideal buyer for that is an investment buyer who's, mm. who's got bridging finance and can put me in touch with their broker straight away with bridging finance already agreed or is a cash buyer and has proof of cash that can, wants to exchange and complete within eight weeks yeah, and signs up for a buyer reservation agreement. Yeah. Like, yeah. I mean, we'll put it in agreement. The survey is here. We know there's issues. Like, unless it comes back with subsidence and it's falling down, you can't pull out. Yeah. And I'm going to put up the 300 quid for the, the seller side. Fair. That's, that's probably what I'm going to do. Yeah, that's the way to do it. But I know I'm going to get, I know I'll get an offer at probably 315, 320 from that perfect buyer. Yeah. I also know there's going to be a residential buyer with a 10% deposit who's going to offer 375. <laughs> yeah. And I'm going to have to say to the yeah. sellers, like, it's 315, she needs the money, 315 or 375. And my advice is 315 because I know that first time buyer is going to have a survey and they're going to withdraw or they're going to pull out. It's going to take too much, too long. Yes, yeah, it's, it's so true. Because I was just thinking any other, a bunch of agents would have put that up for 375. And rather than 60 inquiries, you'd have got The thing two. is, in good condition, it's worth 450. Yeah, for sure. But I've, I've been 50 grand is with everything that I think I would spend on it. But I don't know about that flat roof. And that could be 25 grand. Yeah, there's a lot of unknowns. The loft's got an unofficial loft conversion. Fuck knows what that's up like that. That could be another 20 grand. Like, 
you could easily spend 150 grand on that house. I've got a house at the moment that needs fixing up and everyone, you know, some people say it needs 20 spending, other yeah. people say it needs 100 spending. Yeah. And it's, it's you can't really so this it. So I've been really tactful with this one. As I said, I've had the surveyor go around, so I've, I've well, looked at the property, so I've got that information there. I've had people quote for, in like from my networking group, how much the boiler's going to be, electrics, windows, everything. So I know my numbers are 50 grand. Yeah, and I can and I can categorically tell people that. So if they say it needs a hundred grand's worth of work, I was like, well, yeah. If you upgrade and do some better, of course it's going to be more money. But I don't think it's I don't think it's going to be that much. You don't need to spend that much. Yeah, it's funny, isn't it? Needs a hundred grand. Yeah, it doesn't need a hundred grand. You want to spend a hundred grand on it. <laughs> yeah. So an in interesting one though. I'm looking I'm looking forward to the first viewings today. Mm. See how we get on. Um, should be interesting. Should be good fun. I'll give you an update next Friday on episode thirteen. Episode 13. Are we going to skip episode 13 because it's bad luck? No, let's keep it. Hopefully not bad luck for your uh, offer. We, we could should... do a specific bad luck episode. What's the worst, what's the most unlucky you've been in your life? Yeah, unlucky agency stories. Yeah, cool. Right, we're, we're already past half an hour. So, I know. Um, we I, move... know I know you're not going to want to skip what you've been watching. So let's, uh, let's no, do that. No, should we do that straight in then? What have you got? Mate, mine is sick. Tell me about it. Okay, cool. So again, so right to the last minute, every episode I have to mention mountain biking there we go okay cool so there's so many different uh, aspects to mountain biking you've got enduro racing you've got downhill which is i what i like and what i do straight down a mountain but it's very difficult for someone who doesn't ride bikes or to uh watch downhill racing understand it if you see a 15 foot drop off a cliff into a jump it's very difficult to get perspective mm. But one of the most interesting aspects of mountain biking is downhill urban racing. Okay. Okay. So street racing on bikes. Because everyone knows, everyone can gauge a step, everyone can gauge a curb, everyone can yeah, understand yeah. racing around a corner with no, you know, berms there or anything. You can see that. Last weekend was uh, one of the biggest street races of the, of the year. Uh, it is in uh, Para, oh, mate, Paraviso, Valparaiso. Valparaiso in Chile. It's a downhill race. It's cool. Like they go through houses, like there's a house where they actually ride through the house and jump off the other side of it. It's sick. Um, I want to show you the end of the winning run. All Full right. disclosure here, if anyone watches downhill mountain biking, hasn't seen this, I'm, we're going to tell you the winner now. So don't watch it if you've, uh, if you've not seen it. So should you put it on the screen? I'll send you, I'll put the link and put it on the screen now. It's like great fun. Oh mate, it's like, I don't, I don't know if I could do the fifteen foot drops. But I'd mate, give that a go all day long. That would be so, so scary. I couldn't even do that. That's, that's <laughs> like they're not. Like, these are the best riders in the world doing this. That's really but, cool. But um, the story behind the win is why it's such, such big. Thomas Slavic is a um, out and out like street race specialist, <clears> and he crashed in practice and absolutely busted his, like, smashed his ankle to pieces. Hospital ambulance to hospital, couldn't walk and then pulled out the run of his life to win his third Amazing. street race. Yeah, nice. Incredible, it, it, such a good event. And it bridges the gap because the World Cup season doesn't start for a few months, the downhill okay. World Cup season, because it's obviously like you ski in the winter and then you mountain bike in the summer. That's, it's the same tracks that you go skiing on, like the big ski resorts. Oh really? Yeah. Okay. Like Valsair, uh, obviously a massive ski resort. In the summer, it's a massive mountain biking resort and all the downhill World Cups are places like that. 
Cool. I love seeing videos like that, and I, that's a whole world that exists. That you, you know, the crowds know. turn up to watch that. Yeah. So that cool. I, I'm so I'm actually going mountain biking tomorrow in Gloucester with my brother and dad at a bike park. So I'll oh, tell cool. you all about that next week. Nice. But yeah, that's my what you've been watching. So my what you've been watching. Have you seen the uh, South Park clip with, clip with Harry and I Meghan? Ha- yes, I have. Yeah, I I'll have. Put it on and the it's screen fucking now. Fucking brilliant. You've lived a life with the royal family. You've had everything handed to you, but you say your life has been hard. And now you've written all about it in your new book. Where? Yes, that's right, friend. You see, my wife and I, I are totally like you should write a book because your family like stupid and then so are like journalists. So you hate journalists. That's right. And now you wrote a book that reports on the lives of the royal family. Right. So you're a journalist. I, I'm kind of tired of talking about them a little oh, bit, no, but no. they, I, I just thought that was so funny. Yeah. It, it, it was so brilliant. Funny. It was brilliant. Um, it was just, it was, <laughs> yeah, it, was <laughs> it was really funny. Um, yeah, and that's all there is to say about it, really. I found it, was, I found it really funny. Um, I've heard that Harry and Meghan are suing them. Really? I haven't read into it properly, but I did see that in, a, in an article. I thought the best thing Harry and Meghan could possibly do yeah. with that coming out is to come out and laugh about it. Yeah. Imagine how that would change everything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If Harry came out and goes, oh, I saw that, it was quite yeah, funny. Yeah, it was really it? funny, yeah. Imagine how that yeah. just... Because they're, they're like in this lane of like just being angry at everyone and everyone... Yeah. Just show a bit more human side. Yeah. Came just... out and said, look, obviously they've taken what we've said and made it into a laughable thing. They haven't quite got the points we're trying to put across, but I can see the comic value. It's, it's, it's great. All Fair of a sudden, no one will be able to rinse them anymore. Yeah. You'd be like, oh, South Park did it. He took it on the chin. Move on. Yeah. But it's because they're so like just angry at everyone. Yeah, I know. It's that whole controlling people's speech thing again, isn't it? It's yeah. just... Anyway, um, I know we've done a lot of slagging off Harry and Meghan. No, well, we haven't. We, we had an open debate on it and we concur- concurred that we didn't have a decision on it. We want privacy. <laughs> we want privacy. <laughs> right, anyway, let's My end on Instagram that. Instagram-loving bitch wife. It's <laughs> <laughs> a good accent as well. You love a bit of South Park, do you? I, I haven't seen much South Park, to be honest. Cool. No, I remember watching it when I was younger, but... No, I think my mum watched it as well. Like, as in, watch me watch it, and it was swearing in it, and I was like ten, and they were like, "No, yeah, it's not okay." Anyway, there we go. Cool, cool. Um, guys. Thank you so much for watching, listening, um, contributing. If you've got any questions or want us to chat about any particular topics, like just give us a shout. Just drop us a DM on one of our social media pages. You can contact us directly if you want to. If you know us, you can even just be weird and speak to us in person if you actually wanted to. Yeah, um, be like, you know, I enjoyed the podcast. Why don't you talk about? Yeah, give us a topic. We love, we love your interactions. So, but no, either way, thank you so much for watching and listening and tuning in. This has been episode twelve. Next Friday will be episode thirteen. Do you want to say bye, Matt? Bye, Matt. Okay, and bye, Ryan. Cheers, guys. <laughs>